Great to see you this morning. I'm so thankful that we get to gather together on this beautiful morning to, to worship the Lord. As you come in, just a few announcements for you about things for today and things coming up in the weeks to come. First of all, I want to let you know we're celebrating communion at the end of the service today. And so for those who are watching on live stream at home, that you have some time now to get the elements ready. For those of you here in the sanctuary, their elements are in the seat in front of you on the little Bible right there. So you can identify those. If you don't see those or need more, there's in the back of each of the aisles, there's communion elements. There's also gluten-free elements for those with dietary needs. Those are all available at the back of the sanctuary there this morning. Also today at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we're having what we call the Gateway Forum. This is an apologetics group to help you grow in being able to defend the faith. But also, if you have questions and are skeptic yourself, you have a place to come and ask those questions. That's 4 o'clock today. We have a special one because Cameron Ross, who's in the back back there, he's going to be talking about how do we understand the problem of evil. If God is good, why is there evil in the world? So we're going to be wrestling with that here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock this afternoon. We invite you to come and bring a friend with you. Well, friends, I can't believe it, but it's Thanksgiving week already. We're already in the holiday season. So I just want to remind you, with Thanksgiving coming up this week, there are no Wednesday night activities. The campus will be closed. The church office will be closed Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So we're not going to gather on Wednesday night like usual. But we are on a regular schedule next Sunday. So next Sunday, there's still prayer at 8 o'clock, Bible studies at 9, and worship service at 1030. The only change this week is Wednesday night activities. But with Thanksgiving here, that means Christmas it's just around the corner, right? And so at Christmas Around the Corner, we have quite a number of opportunities for you, the church family, during the Christmas season. You'll be getting an email this week with more details, but I hope you'll go ahead and mark your calendars. Now, the first, I don't know if I should call it a senior adult gathering or not, but it's for 50s and up. And so Greg and Cecilia Teal are hosting this. And they're calling it the Nifty 50s and Beyond. And so that'll be on Friday, December 3rd. That'll be the home of Greg and Cecilia. There'll be desserts and hors d'oeuvres. It'll be just a great chance for the body of Christ, for those 50 and above to gather together to build community at Greg and Cecilia's house. Now, for the whole church, doesn't matter your age, young to old, Wednesday, December 8th, we are bringing back a service project and a movie night. And so we're going to do two things for the service project. Locally, we're going to make goodie bags for first responders to take to fire stations in town to bless some of our local first responders during the holiday season. We're also going to make cards for an orphanage in Kenya to bless those kids during this Christmas season. And after we do all that, we'll have popcorn and hot chocolate. We're going to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas on a big inflatable screen in the gym. So again, you can be young, you can be old. We want all of you to be part of this as we try to bless people locally and globally and enjoy some fellowship around a movie together. More still to come. December 13th, Monday night, there's a ladies' Christmas painting night. You'll meet in the gym, ladies, and you'll have a chance to paint Christmas paintings. You don't have to be a professional painter to do this. Mandy Moody is going to instruct you, and you shall have all the supplies you need. So it would be a great chance if you want to put try your hand at doing artwork and painting, or if you are already good at it, there's a chance to come together and fellowship ladies on Monday the 13th. Then on Wednesday, December 15th, we're having our Gingerbread House Fellowship. We have done this for many, many years. And so we already have in the church office 50 gingerbread houses. They're already pre-assembled, so you don't have the frustration of trying to glue them together, right? They already come pre-assembled, and you get to come, drink hot chocolate with us, listen to Christmas music, and you and your family can decorate a gingerbread house together. You can do this with groups of friends, so if several of the college students want to come together to do it, we have plenty of gingerbread houses, but come. It's just a fun evening in the life of the church. And then lastly, in terms of Christmas stuff, Friday, December 24th, Christmas Eve, carols, communion, and candlelight. We will celebrate communion together, sing Christmas carols. I hope you'll come. It's just a special evening for the church family to gather together on Christmas Eve. Now, before we go on, we have a special presentation from Molly. We want to honor someone very special in the life of the church. So Molly and Miss Maria, come on up here. (laughs) 
this sweet lady was rocking a baby, and we had to pry the baby from her arms to bring her in here, and she didn't know what's going on. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know, but the children's ministry here has about 67 people who work tirelessly to take care of all the babies in the church, and actually some of those are duplicates as well. So we have a lot of volunteers that help out and take care of the babies. But someone that has been behind the scenes for many years now is Miss Maria. Maria has been taking care of babies for almost five years now. She is here every Sunday morning for the entire time, during Sunday school, during worship. Then she goes home and fixes lunch for her family. And then she comes back to New Life in Christ and praises God and worships God all afternoon. So she is a tireless worker. She then comes back on Wednesday evenings. She helps on Mondays, I'm sorry, with classical conversations. She helps with the babies then. Anytime I call her, she says, yes, Molly, I will help you. I will help you. And she does. And guys, when she's back there, she's not just changing diapers. She is feeding. She is loving. She is sharing. Christ almost makes me cry here. She shares Christ. She sings to them. She talks of God's glory. She does so much to interact and teach these babies every week, time after time. And if you haven't have a ba- had a baby, you need to get to know this sweet lady. But all of you who have had babies in our church know her already because your babies love and adore her and are safe there every time. So now that it is a Thanksgiving time and we had not really done this before, we decided a little something. We've got a few cards of encouragement for you in this bag that you may take home. And we've got a really heavy floral arrangement for you. <laughs> So we just want to bless you in a small way as you take care of your family and you take care of our family. We love you, we adore you, and we're so blessed by you. And we just want to take a moment to pray for you. Father God, we are just in awe of the heart you created in this woman. What a servant God she is for you, how she loves these little ones and takes such good care of them and and how they love her in return. And God, we know that you've asked us to take good care of your children, your smallest of children, and that you want us to show them your ways and to teach them your word. And God, she does this time after time after time. We pray that you'll have special blessings for her this week and throughout this year. God, that she'll have special time with her family this week and that she'll get good rest because she does so much, God, that she'll find a restful moment during this time and that she will realize how many people are thankful for her and how much good she does in this world. Thank you, God, for creating this special woman and thank you that she is in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My English is a little bit, a little bit when, when I come in for a first time for the church, no talk everything, but everybody and me, I have a powerful Lord, and I pray every night, and I say, Lord, I need to work, but I need a big miracle, please, Lord, I need you, use my teaching, you're learning my English, so um, every night, I pray for my Lord, for it understand more English because for me it's very important to communicate with everybody because I consider my family 
I love you, everybody. I love you. And I say thank you so much for everything. I am here very happy with my work. <laughs> when every time I need change diapers, babies. And sometimes uh, people said, oh, male, nasty. <laughs> oh. But I remember when looking to the child's and I need to clean the nose, the diaper. Jesus, he looking him. He looking him. And I remember to the love to the Lord. And I changed happy the babies <laughs> and everything. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And have a blessed and great and wonderful Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the other thing you may not know, Miss Maria is quite the powerful evangelist in the Spanish community here. She is making Christ known. And just when I talked to her about how her week was, and she'll tell me, I led someone to Jesus this week. I'm doing a Bible study. So beyond what you see here, she is, what we're going to talk about in our sermon today, she is very faithful to make Christ known. So I just want to echo everything. I know she left everything Molly said. We are so grateful for her. Well, as we turn our focus to get ready to sing to the Lord this morning, I ask you to stand, please, as I read some of God's word to us this morning. This morning we're going to begin with the song, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death. I just want to remind us that Christ is our hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, we have a living hope in Christ. Let's celebrate that this morning. Let's celebrate Christ himself who has given us that hope. Let's sing to the Lord. Our faith, when fears arise, stands above. 
Lost in sin. 
Thank you. You may be seated. So we sing about the Lord's salvation. We get to celebrate now the baptism of one who's recently placed his faith and trust in Christ. So as Samuel is coming into the water with his granddad, he's going to be baptizing him. Boys and girls, I want you to be able to see. So boys and girls, you can come sit up front here if you want to come see your friends. So come on down here if you'd like to come sit. It's okay to sit right in front. It's okay to sit right in the steps here. Come on down. We want you to be able to, to see. So... This is Samuel Sharer in the tank. He is the son of Ben and Ashlyn, who a fairly new military family. He's been here with us just this year, and so we're so thankful that God has brought their family to Gateway, and we're thankful for Samuel and for his siblings as well. But Samuel has put his faith and trust in Christ and wants to confess that before you, the church family, in baptism today. Now, before he does, I want to just remind you of why we do baptism. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' words in what we often call the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a person's confession of faith in Christ. It's the way they publicly tell others, I am a follower of Christ. Now, the reason we do baptism the way we do here is because of the symbol of this. A person is saying, I believe Christ died for my sins. That's what the imagery is. They go under the water and that Christ was raised to newness of life. But they're also saying, because I believe in Christ, I'm dying to my old way of life and God is filling me with his Holy Spirit and giving me grace so that I can walk in newness of life because God is at work in me. And so this is the way we confess that before others. You've heard me say before, but let me remind us, there is nothing special about this water. This is the same tap water you drink out of the city of Montgomery. That's why it's so bluish green, right? There's nothing holy or magical about this water. This is a symbol, the way a person confesses their faith and trust in Christ. But it's also us as a church saying, we recognize, Samuel, God's grace and work in your life, and we rejoice with you in that. And so we're excited what the Lord has done in your life. So Samuel's dad, Ben's down here. He's going to share you a little bit of Samuel's story first, then we'll give a chance for a few of y'all to share some testimonies as well. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Grady. Um, so last night I was talking with Samuel, um, and he was sharing some of his story, and I was taking notes. And uh, at the end of it, I asked him, I was like, can I share some of these? Uh, and so here we go. Samuel said, for as long as I can remember, I knew about Jesus and God. I think a lot of us can relate with that if we grew up uh, in a Christian home. He said, in school, I started to learn that different people believed different things. So there's different worldviews out there in the world. He said, everyone had a Lord. They're all worshiping something. He goes, I should have a Lord too. He said, I know who the true Lord is. So I became a Christian. Samuel also said, I know I need to be saved because, like, there's two ways to go. He said, I think of Jesus as like a king. He should be praised like a king. He said, unlike any other God, he's referring to little little g gods, he said, I know the true God. I believe Jesus is the true God. He said, someone created me. I'm a sinner and I need saving. And then finally, he said, I talk to my stuffies, which are those stuffed animals he's got. Um, He said, I'm their master. (laughs) He goes, well... Who's my master? Jesus. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, Ben. And I can attest, like your dad said, we see God's grace at work on your life. Some of you guys know that my boys and I do a lot of backpacking. In our most recent trip with several other dads, he was with us. And I can testify, when you're 16 miles deep in the woods and at 32 degrees, the joy of the Lord is still on Samuel's face out there. So I know some others may want to share a word of encouragement, so... Yeah, uh, Miss Molly's. This is Molly. I saw her earlier. 
hey, sweet Samuel, you and I have not gotten to know each other quite as well, but I did meet you for the first time when you came here to visit for Vacation Bible School. And I do think it is evident on your little face, the smile and the joy you have, that there is something different about you, that you do know Christ as your Savior. And I'm just so thankful to get to know you more and that we can just read scriptures together and study God's word here together and you can grow in Christ because that's what's asked of us, to believe in him, to trust him, and then just to walk with God and to learn more about him and to follow his ways. So I'm so thankful to be your sister and to see you here growing in Christ. Amen. Thank you, Molly. There we go. Who else is like, okay. So I, too, got to meet you with VBS, um, and actually I met your sister and, and the family, too. And I just wanted to say I saw your beautiful heart. I led the music, and every time we sang the songs, I knew you knew what you were singing about, and it was so sweet and beautiful to see you worship God, even in a fun, chaotic atmosphere. Also with me as your teacher, I mean, sorry. But you did, I just, it was so beautiful to see your spirit and to see that you knew even then that you were praising the Lord and choosing to praise God in fun and to praise God also in your heart and just by singing silly songs but turning it into a moment of praise. And I just thought that was beautiful and I wanted to say thank you for sharing that with me. I know you're on a wonderful road in your relationship with God and I just, I can't wait to see how else he uses you. Welcome to the family. Thanks, Lydia. I see Cecilia over here. Samuel, it's been a privilege to get to know you, honey, and your family. And I had a couple verses that I want to read to you. One was out of 1 Peter 2, uh, 2, and it says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. And I have seen that in you. You have an amazing appetite for God's word, and I've learned from you as we've met together. And... Um, I see Christ in your life, so thank you for that. And then the next um, are two verses, 9 and 10, out of First Peter as well. Although Peter was writing this to the collective you, I see you in the you. So it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I see that proclaiming the excellencies of him already at work, but I also see it and hear it in your prayers for people um, abroad and the whole world of missions. So thank you. God bless you and just so proud of you. Thanks, Cecilia. And if that text sounds familiar, that's going to be our sermon text for today. So there we go. <laughs> Anyone else want to share a word of encouragement before we turn it over to... Here you go. Here's Mike. So I was with Samuel on the 16-mile backpacking trip and can attest that everything Grady said was absolutely true. Uh, just the joy in his heart and on his face was just constant and... Uh, I, uh, I, I want to compliment Ben and his family. Just you can tell that Christ is the center of their family. Uh, and it's just so encouraging to me uh, as a dad and as someone with kids uh, to see that in the world today. So uh, just want to compliment them and Samuel. I'm just so excited for you today. And I also want to read a verse that just disappeared here. 
but something that has always kind of guided me is uh, Paul's words in Ephesians 2.8. So just wanted to read them to you as encouragement as you grow old, older. Uh, can't wait to see what God's going to do in your heart and in your life. So it's uh, verses eight, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So congratulations and just praying for God to do mighty things through you. We're going to read that version of the sermon today also. We're getting good previews here. So. Okay, anyone, let's come back over to family over here. This is Ashlyn, his mom. Samuel, I love you, sweetie. One of the things that I have found so incredibly special about being your mom and watching you on this journey as you've come to know the Lord is just your absolute love of Scripture and the Bible. You love the Bible so much that you asked me to find you yet another person to teach you from the Scriptures other than just me at home during school. Um, And so we reached out to people over the last few years, and we've gotten you extra Bible study because that's what you wanted and you desired. And you love the Bible so much that we made you your own Bible room out of a cardboard box when we were in Germany so that you'd have a room just for your time with God. And we repurposed the corner of a uh, closet in the house we're in now so that you could have a place because you do. You truly love Scripture, and you read it all the time, and you want to know more, and you want to understand more. And I pray that you will continue to be that way, and you will continue to pursue God and to learn what he has to say to you each and every day for the rest of your life. Thanks, Ashlyn. So we're going to turn it back over to Samuel's granddad, who's in the tank with him. Samuel's granddad's also a pastor, and he's going to get to baptize him. Just so you know, the this, this shirts say sola fide. It's a Latin expression from the Reformation, this faith alone. This is him proclaiming that his faith is alone in Christ. It's God's grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone that saves us. So we'll turn it over to you guys. Thank you, Pastor. So Samuel, let me ask you a question. So do you trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Yes. Do you trust Jesus to not only forgive you of all your sins, but someday welcome you with the big arms open into heaven? Yes. Ah, then Samuel, Isaiah, share. I will now baptize you. I baptize you, my grandson, and now my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, boys and girls, if you just want to stay put right here for one minute, Mr. Jeff Moody, who's one of our elders, is going to come pray for us. And when he gets done praying, first and fourth will be dismissed to kids' worship. But, guys, if you'll hang tight right here. Let's pray together. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to do just that. God, to celebrate your salvation, 
in this baptism, Lord, the expansion of your kingdom and your family. God, what a beautiful thing it is to see. And Lord, as we walk through our lives, we know that we are constantly surrounded by need, need within our own church family, our own personal families, and need in our world. And so, Lord, we bring those requests to you, knowing that you who promised is faithful, that our salvation is secure and we have assurance in you, God. So let us pray from that faith, asking, Lord, with full and confident hearts. Father, we pray uh, for our senior adults here and for the the group uh, that is going to be meeting together soon. We ask for your blessings on them, that you would build community uh, in this stage of life, that you would continue to help these people to love and encourage one one another as they walk through this life. And Lord, for our city, we pray for the Montgomery Baptist Association Love Loud campaign and Donna McCullough, she leads it. Lord, thank you for the work that that group is doing among our city to love people well and to share the gospel. Uh, We pray for Pastor Justin Todd at River City Church downtown and their specific ministry to the homeless. God, you have called us to care for the broken and lowly. God, because we are also broken lowly in our spirits. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us all open hands and that for that church and that ministry in particular, that you would bless their ministry to the homeless. And, Lord, as we think beyond just our city and our church, but also to the world where your gospel is going forth, we pray for Ryan Thomas and his family. Thank you for the connection that we have for them as they continue to minister in Southeast Asia. And we pray for the Mao Yi Village Baptist Church that they started a new Awana Club. And what a, what a picture of your grace to learn the scriptures as we heard about just now and also to learn your salvation. Lord, continue to build community there as they seek to live out your gospel in that area. And as we think about our own lives and our own way to worship you, Lord, we know uh, that you have given us resources to be stewards of for your kingdom. And so, Lord, as we give back to you what you have called us to give, help remind us that it is all in your in service to you. And finally, we pray for Grady as he shares with us this morning. We pray that you would give us open ears and open hearts and we would be attentive to the word that you would have us hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, boys and girls, first to fourth, you're to kids' worship. You can go to those double doors there to head to kids' worship day, and the rest of you guys can head back to the seats with your parents. Now, while their kids are moving, if you'll find 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, find 1 Peter chapter 2 on your Bible app or in your copy of God's Word there in front of you as we continue our journey to be more rooted, more grounded in what we believe, in the unchanging Word of God. Now, just to give you a heads up on where we're headed, we're actually going to pause our rooted study after today until January, and we're going to bring back Advent to Gateway over the next five weeks, and I am... So excited about that. We're going to be bringing back the Advent messages, bringing back the songs. We're going to bring back the Advent wreath and the lighting of the Advent candle each week. So I'm excited over these next four to five weeks as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christmas together. We'll be doing that, and then we'll pick back up our rooted study when we return to the new year in 2022. The question we come today in our catechism study is really a great summary of everything that we've been seeing in the previous 33 weeks we've been walking through this journey together. If you think back over what we've seen for the last year in this, that we've seen the nature of God. We've seen who he is, we've seen his holiness, we've seen his law, his standard, how he requires perfect and perpetual obedience all the time. We've seen our nature, how we are guilty, how we are born guilty, how we are born with a sin nature, how we're born already rebellious to God. We've seen our failure to glorify God, our failure to love him as we should, our failure to obey him. We've seen how God views sin, his wrath, his righteous anger at sin. And all this is built to the last few months. We've been really focusing on Christ as the Redeemer, that our only hope 
is a redeemer, someone who pays the price, who buys us back, who pays our sin debt. And we saw that as Jesus. And then last week we hit the really sobering question of what happens to those who do not believe. What happens to the unredeemed? And we saw that whoever does not believe, whether it's because they've never heard or whether it's because they've rejected it, we saw they're already under the judgment of God and they will be for all eternity. In light of that, I want to build on what we saw last week. We're going to tweak the catechism question for this week just a little bit. Today we come to question 29 in the catechism that's guiding us. And the question this week is, how can we be saved? Now, when we hear the word saved, this means saved from God's judgment, saved from our sins, saved from our guilt. And as we've gone through the last 33 weeks, we've talked about that a lot. I've tried to make sure as we're talking about all these attributes of God, it keeps pointing us back to how we're to respond to God. So we're going to change that question just a little bit today. We're going to change one word of that question. Instead of how can we be saved, the question today is how can anyone be saved? How can anyone be saved? How is salvation possible? What is the hope for the non-believers around us? The non-believers at the ends of the earth that Jeff prayed for? The non-believers perhaps in our own house or in our own neighborhood? What is the hope for people? How can anyone be saved. We're going to find our answer today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. So I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. We have a treasure in God's Word here, and I'm so thankful God has given it to us. But 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, I have the words on the screen for you also. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. And these sound familiar. Cecilia read them for us earlier, but let's read them again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds And glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. We thank you that you've told us how we can be rescued from our sin, how we can know you. God, I pray today as we read this and think about this, Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be captured by the the wonders of your grace. Lord, these wouldn't just be words that we've heard a lot, but Lord, you would really capture our hearts with wonder that you have redeemed us and rescued sinners like us. Lord, I pray as well as we think about this topic, I pray you'd use it to burden our hearts afresh for the non-believers around us and the non-believers in the uttermost parts of the earth who need to hear the gospel so desperately. So have your way with us and we ask your Holy Spirit to fill each one of us, to convict us, to encourage us, to give us hope where we need hope and give us challenge where we need challenge today, to take your word and apply it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, the question, how can anyone be saved? I want to go and give you the answer, and it's a bit of a mouthful this morning. We're going to unpack it. So how can anyone be saved? Here's our answer. God graciously redeems sinners, and he does so through the witness of those whose lives already are being transformed by his grace. What is the hope for the lost, friends, that God graciously redeems sinners? Friends, if you are in Christ, you already know that hope. You already know the joys of God graciously redeeming you and radically changing you. But God plans to redeem other people beyond us as well. And how does he do it? And God is sovereign. God can do whatever God wants to do. He could write it in the sky. You have an audible voice from heaven. I mean, God could email you if God wanted to email you, okay? I mean, anything is possible. God can do whatever God wants to do. But the sovereign plan God has established for other people to come to faith in Christ is for him to use people already redeemed to point the lost to him, to take people who are already being transformed by his grace, whose lives are being changed because they belong to him, and to use them to make Christ known. 
If you think about your own story, friends, someone told you about Jesus. Someone gave you a Bible. Someone invited you to church or shared scripture with you or challenged you to consider the claims of Christ. And just as someone did that for you, if you were in Christ now, God desires to redeem more sinners and to use you in the process of doing it. God graciously redeems sinners, and he does so through the witness of those whose lives already are being transformed by his grace. Now, let's unpack that. That's a lot to think about. Let's start with the hope here. The hope for you and for me, the hope for the lost world is that God redeems sinners. Look back at verse 10 here. Peter sets quite a contrast for us in verse 10. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, as you look at this first contrast, it says, once you were not a people. Now, let me just clarify this. This does not mean that people who are not Christians lack personhood, okay? This doesn't mean they lack dignity or worth or personhood. He's saying here, this has to do everything with belonging. That if you are not in Christ, you don't belong to God. This is all about a sense of belonging to God. And this is a reminder that God takes people. You and I were all there at one point who did not belong to him, who were shaking our fist at him, living in our rebellion against God. And he took us and he turned our hearts to them. That he chose us and he forgave us and he adopted us and he brought us into a relationship with himself. This phrase that you are not a people, now you're a people, it's just a reminder to us that God makes non-believers believers, that God makes guilty people forgiven. God takes people under judgment and he redeems them. But lest we think we have anything to do with that salvation and becoming the people of God, he obliterates that for us in the second phrase here in verse 10. He says, once you were not a people, now you're God's people. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, friends, in the way this is written in the Greek language, this phrase is massively significant because receiving mercy here is passive. That means it's something that has to be done to you, not anything you can do. He's saying, okay, you were not the people, God. You're now the people, God. How did that happen? Well, because once you did not have mercy, but now God in his grace has given you something you could not get yourself. It is his mercy that he has given to you. You just simply have received what he has done for you. He chose to set his affection on you. He chose to forgive you when you were lost in your rebellion against him. Now, Mike read this one for us earlier, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 makes this so clear for us. For by grace, that's God's kindness to us, things we don't deserve, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is because you prayed the prayer, walked down the aisle, got baptized, joined the church, and are a good person now. No, this is not your own doing. I mean, unless we miss that, it is a gift from God. He goes on in verse 9, not a result of works so that no one may boast. I mean, Paul is driving this home for us. There's not of your own doing. It's not because of any works you've done. It is simply the grace of God. Friends, if you are in Christ, it's not because of anything you've done. It's because God looks upon you lost in your sins and have mercy on you. That is the hope we have in Christ, that just as God redeemed us when we were not seeking after him, God is in the business of still redeeming other people in the world today. But as amazing as that is, there's even more to marvel at in this text in terms of who we are in Christ. Because when God redeems us, when he makes us his people, sets his mercy upon us, he gives us a new identity. That's what verse 9 shows us here, our identity in Christ. Now, everything you see in verse 9 here, these are all images from the Old Testament. Peter's going back for a Jewish audience here, and he's digging to the Old Testament, showing them images they would recognize from Israel's history on this. And friends, I need a sermon for every one of these. So maybe one day we'll do a sermon on each of these titles here and these descriptions. But for today, quickly, let's look at who we are in Christ. He said, look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. He says, you, this you collectively, you plural, you together are a chosen race. He's saying that if you are in Christ, you are part of God's covenant people. 
that God has put his love on you. He has put his covenant affections upon you. This is even more, you're a royal priesthood. Now, what does that mean? When the Old Testament, the priest had access to God. They had the closest access to God possible. He's saying if you're in Christ now, you have unlimited access to God. You have the closest relationship with God that is possible here. That you have direct access. You can walk into God's throne room and talk to him because you are redeemed by him. You're chosen, you're royal, you're a race, you're a priesthood. And even more, he says the third phrase, you are a holy nation. That together as believers, we are set apart by God for God. That God has taken us together and he set us apart by him for him. That we are a holy group of people. That means we have purpose in life. We have a mission in this life. And then Peter brings it all together with this phrase that we are a people for his own possession. An idea that we belong to him. I mean, to think about that, friends, that if you are in Christ, you are a part of a people belonging to God. That God looks at you and when he sees you, he says, mine love how it's described in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. In Isaiah 43, 1. I think we have it up there. I guess we don't have Isaiah 43, 1 up there. Let me go find Isaiah 42, 1 for us. Sorry, my bad. Oh, there it is. Thank you. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. There's that idea of redemption. But notice this, I have called you by name. Now all these next words sink in. You are Mine. Friends, if you are in Christ, God is saying to you, I have redeemed you. I have made you my people. I have put my affection upon you. You did not have mercy. I've given you mercy. You're now chosen, royal, holy. You're a race, a priesthood, a nation, a people for my own possession. God looks at you if you're in Christ and he says, you are mine. Friends, we need to let that sink in. That God looks at us in Christ and says, you belong to me. So we think about that, that's not something to let us sit at home and just marvel at that, that that should lead us to worship. That reality that we belong to God should give us a sense of purpose and mission in this life because that identity comes with a mission tied to it, that we are redeemed for a purpose. Now we glanced at this last week, but I want to remind you that 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 20 reminds us of God's redemption and also of the mission he sent us on. We saw this last week. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. We had nothing to do with this. This is his doing. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Like I mentioned last week, too often we put a period there. And we think about how God has reconciled us and what God has done for us. But notice what immediately follows. There's no break in the thought here. He reconciled us and he gave us the ministry, the mission, the task of reconciliation. What does that look like? That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Again, we can't do that, but he can. But how does God do it? He doesn't email us. He doesn't shout from the sky. He doesn't write in the clouds. What does he do? He does not count the trespasses against him by entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors, spokespeople for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Again, it's God's work, but he's speaking through us, his people. So we implore you, the non-believers on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You see that same truth here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. If you go back to 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That. Here's one of the reasons God has rescued us and redeemed us. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The one reason God has saved us, rescued us, redeemed us is for us to proclaim his excellencies. To proclaim his character, his nature, his greatness, who he is. 
Now, we see the word proclaim here. There's two different possible meanings to proclaim. And I believe both are in view here because both are used in Scripture to describe what proclaim means. Proclaim has two aspects. One aspect is what we call a vertical aspect, is worship. You see in Scripture proclaiming being people praising God for who He is and what He has done. That's what we've just been doing this morning. We are proclaiming back to God His greatness. Glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. We were proclaiming to God His greatness. We were singing together off His greatness, and that's something we need to be doing. When we see the word proclaim in Scripture, there's a second part of that, and that's the horizontal part of it, what you might call evangelism, sharing Christ with non-believers. That part of why Christ saved us was so we would praise Him and be worshipers, but part of why He saved us was so that we would be proclaimers who make Him known to other people. We have a mission to share Christ with others, yes, because they're lost and they need saving, but also because God deserves their praise. The main driving force of us sharing Christ with non-believers is because God deserves their worship. Yes, they're lost, but God also is so holy and worthy, He deserves their worship. And so God desires to redeem sinners, and He uses us in that process. Now, what does that practically look like? What does it mean for us to proclaim His excellencies before a lost world? How do we as the redeemed people do this? Well, our text shows us two things that are necessary for us to proclaim Christ's excellencies before a lost world. Two things, and both of these are important. We cannot neglect either one of them. Number one is what I'm calling a verbal witness. There's some type of aspect of us verbally sharing who Christ is. Now, you may have heard the popular quote that people love to to quote out in the culture, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Friends, that's wrong. There's nothing biblical about that quote. Now, that sounds catchy. It may look nice on coffee mugs and people love to use it in devotionals. Friends, the idea of preaching Christ and if you need to use words, there's nothing biblical about that. There's no concept in scripture of a witness for Christ without words accompanying it, without truth going forward. Last week when we were talking about what faith is, if you remember We said faith requires believing certain facts and truths about who God is and who we are. Faith requires certain knowledge of things. That's what we're going to pick back up after Advent in January. But we have to use our words to share truth. So you can go back to verse 9 here. God's done all this for us so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him. We think about the word proclaim in the Greek when it's used in the horizontal sense of talking to another. It means to tell to advertise, to shout forth. Then we talk about proclaiming, there's something that happens where we're advertising, sharing words with other people. Our mission is to tell other people about Jesus, His nature, what He has done, their need of Him, His worthiness to be worshipped. And friends, there's so many scriptures that show us this mission. For example, Psalm 96, let's go back to the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 96, verses 1 to 3, shows us both aspects of this word, proclaim. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Okay, there we're doing. We're proclaiming to God His greatness. In verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless His name. And then notice where it goes next. Tell of His salvation from day to day. That we have a task as believers to do both. We're to be, as believers, singing to God, worshiping Him because He's so worthy. We're to be opening our mouth to tell of Him to others as well. We see this in in the Great Commission that I read before the baptism. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in this verse, Brad, if you'll go back one, one to verse 19 for us here. When you look at this verse in, in the, what we call the Great Commission, there's only one verb here. There's only one imperative here before. And the only imperative, the only command here is the word make disciples. Everything else are participles that support it. So the command here for us as believers is to make disciples. The go, more literally, would be as you are going. 
make disciples. As you're living your life, be making disciples. Now, how do you make disciples? Well, there's two participles that follow. We're to be baptizing them, pointing them to confess their faith in Christ, just like Samuel did this morning. But then in verse 20, we're told to be teaching them to obey everything he has commanded, that we have a mission from Christ to make disciples. And we do that as we're living our lives by pointing people, calling people to confess faith in Christ, and by teaching them everything that Christ has commanded. There's no way to do that without words, without opening our mouths as his witnesses to proclaim who he is. You see the same thing in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15. We reference this one periodically in other sermons. But in Romans 10, we're told everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And in verse 14, the series of questions with the answers implied. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, when you think of preaching, this doesn't mean someone standing behind a pulpit. This means someone is taking the word of God and sharing it with them. Now, verse 15, and how are they to preach? How are they to share? How are they to proclaim unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, if you are in Christ, you have a mission from God to have beautiful feet, to share Christ with non-believers around you, both here at home and to the uttermost parts of the world. And friends, one of my prayers for myself personally and for us as a church as we go into the new year, that God's really going to grow us in this, to grow us together in stepping into being more bold as a church and making Christ known here in Montgomery and to the uttermost parts of the world. We have a mission from God to proclaim His excellencies before non-believers. That's the first part of what's required of us. There's a second part as well because words alone are insufficient to proclaim His excellencies. The second thing that's required is our own lives need to be transformed by His grace. Our own lives need to be being transformed by His grace. If we want to be effective at making Christ known, we have to use words, but we also have to have a life that matches it. Our own lives need to be being transformed by God's grace. Because we've seen it over and over in our different weeks of study. True faith is not, I prayed a prayer, I'm okay with God. True faith is we receive from God a radical transformation. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, it radically changes. If there is no transformation, no sanctification, no growth in Godliness, then, friends, we don't know Christ, and we're fooling ourselves to think that our prayer got us into heaven. Friends, we need to have our own lives transformed by God's grace. We cannot effectively point people to Christ if we ourselves are not walking with Him and experiencing Him changing us. Now, Peter shows it that in two ways. He shows us, in the language we use a lot, If we want to experience God's grace, it should be causing us to put off certain things from our life, to rid certain things from our life, but be putting on certain things, growing in certain things. So if we want to be effective proclaimers of God's excellencies, we need to, by God's grace, be putting off things in our life. Look at verse 11. He says, Beloved, I urge you. Catch the significance here. He said, I'm pleading with you. This has got great significance. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He says, you need to put off from your life these things that are tempting you, that are warring against you. And what are those things? What are these passions of the flesh? Well, it's any sinful desire that tempts us. Now, what could those include? Well, we get a glimpse in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. There, Paul's talking to people at Galatia about what the works of the flesh are. So, what are the works of the flesh? Well, here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Okay, that's not an exhaustive list. He said, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
What's he saying there? He's saying that these are our old nature. These are things that Christ is transforming us from. That if we are in Christ, we should be finding strength and grace to be putting those things away as he continues to change us step by step, day by day, growing us in godliness. But friends, it takes intentionality to seek to grow in these things. Go back to verse 11 today. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, notice which wage war against your soul. Friends, there is a battle going on for your soul and my soul. And our, and our flesh and the enemy and the world are pulling at us to try to cause us to live like the world. And if we are going to be effective at making Christ known, we must be pursuing God's grace day by day by day in prayer and in the word, asking him to transform us and change us, to put off these things from our life. Friends, how much Christian witness has been discredited by believers who are harboring these type things in their lives and then still going out pretending that everything is okay in Christ. Friends, we must be seeking to put off these things by God's grace. But also to make Christ known, we need to be putting on things. We've seen over and over in our studies that following Christ is not just a do-not-do list. We should be being transformed into Christ's likeness. And Peter brings us out in verse 12. This is what we need to be putting on in our life. Verse 12. It says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so they speak against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, Let your conduct be honorable, let it be beautiful, literally. Let it be good. That we're to be putting on beautiful things in our life as we put off those sinful patterns, put on good patterns. What are the good patterns? Well, back to Galatians chapter 5, it tells us what the good patterns are. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As we walk with Christ day by day, we should be seeing these things growing in us as the Holy Spirit fills us. But again, friends, this takes intentionally seeking God day by day, intentionally asking God to do these. Titus chapter 3, verse 8 points out how we need to be pursuing this in our life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that you, those who have believed in God, may be careful, notice this, may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Friends, we should be seeking God's grace day by day to put on Christ's likeness. Friends, when the Holy Spirit works within us, and more and more, the old is put off and the new is put on in Christ. It becomes a powerful backing to our verbal witness. And what's the result when we seek to do this? Because when we seek God's grace to be transformed personally, we seek to understand who we are in Christ, and we seek to make Christ known, what are the results? Well, that's up to God. I can't promise certain results because that's up to the Lord. He is the one who's sovereign. We are not. He's the one who changes hearts. We cannot. He can draw people. We cannot. But as we do these things, God loves to work through them. And verse 12 shows us what our heart longing should be for the results to be. Look at the end of verse 12 here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and, this, and glorify God. Our heart should be that as we see God transforming us, and as we then start speaking of God's goodness to the lost around us, our hearts should be that God will take that verbal witness back to the life that's being changed by the gospel itself. And God will use it to draw the lost to himself, that they may see the good deeds and glorify God themselves. We see this later in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This is well, one thing I've been, I'm praying for us as a church to have a lot of these opportunities this holiday season. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now notice this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, if our lives will be so captured by the grace of God and by God's grace we put off our old sin patterns and put on Christ's righteousness because of Him working in us, people will see the difference. 
And I pray for myself and through, for all of us this holiday season that we're going to have people say, what's different about you? How do you have hope? How do you have joy? How do you have peace? And we'll be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us and to do so with gentleness and respect. This is exactly what Jesus himself told us that we should be doing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16, he told us, you are the light of the world. Then say, go become the light of the world. He said, if you're in me, you already are the light of the world. We're God's plan for the world to see his light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand that it gives light to all in the house. Now, in the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God redeems sinners. If you're in Christ, you know that. But God does so through the verbal witness of those whose lives are transformed by God's grace. When someone who was captured by God's grace gave you a Bible pointed you to Christ, taught you the word, pled with you to come to faith in Christ. And if you're in Christ now, God wants to do that through you to others. So what do we do with this truth this morning, friends? What do we do with this reality that God redeems sinners, and he does so through the witness of those who are transformed by his grace? Well, I want us to respond in two ways this morning. First of all, I want us to focus on the fact that God has redeemed us. I want us to pause this morning and to meditate and think deeply about the fact that if we are in Christ, we are forgiven and we are rescued by him. We're going to do that through communion, which I'll explain in just a moment. Then after communion, I want to take a few minutes before we leave and pray for the non-believers around us. Again, thinking what we saw last week, that all those who do not believe in Christ are already under God's judgment and have eternal judgment awaiting. Friends, God has put us there to be a light to them. God has put us there so that we might proclaim his excellencies. God has put us in their lives so that they might see the difference Christ has made in us. And not just for the people we know personally, he cares about the ends of the earth as well, the nations as well, that God desires for us to be a church and us to be people who long for the unreached people groups of the world to see the light of Christ and believe in him. So I want us to follow up communion with, some, with prayer this morning, particularly prayer for the lost and prayer for ourselves to make Christ known. But let's start with communion. What are we about to celebrate and why? First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter tells us, the symbol of what we're about to see. He says, Know that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. Friends, when we take communion in just a few minutes, it is a reminder to us of the cost of our salvation, the cost of our redemption, that Jesus, the second person of the one true God who always existed, humbled himself and came to earth, was born a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law that you and I break day after day after day. He fulfilled it perfectly so he could go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice to die in our place. And in a moment, take the punishment that would take an eternity for us to bear. He took it for us. So just a moment as we take the bread, it reminds us that his body was hung on the cross. And his body was broken so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. When you drink the juice, it's a reminder that Jesus' blood was shed. The blood of the perfect Son of God was shed so that you and I could be the people of God. We see this told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. And the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We, we break the bread to remember that Christ died for our sins. He goes on. In the same way, after also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he 
comes. Friends, we get to celebrate that together. As such, this is only for those who are believers. There's a strong warning that follows in 1 Corinthians 11, 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Friends, this is not something to be taken lightly. This is for believers to pause and remember what Christ has done for us and to rejoice in that and celebrate that and thank him for it. If you are not a follower of Christ, we encourage you just to use this time to sit where you are. Please don't take it, but just to pray and ask God to show himself to you. But if you are a believer, it does not matter if you're a member of Gateway or not. We want you to rejoice in the salvation Christ has given to you. But we also saw today that God redeems us and then desires to work through us to redeem others. And so after you've taken communion, have some time to remember what Christ has done for you. After you've taken the elements, I want you to take a few minutes where you're sitting in to pray. To pray two things. One, I want you to pray by name for the lost that are in your life. Start by praying for the lost in your life. Romans 10.1. This is a great model for us of the, what our hearts should be. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God to them is they may be saved. So after you've taken communion, take a few minutes and begin to pray for the non-believers you know. Perhaps pray for unreached people groups to come to faith in Christ. But the second thing I want you to pray after you take communion is pray for yourself for boldness to proclaim his excellencies. For boldness to do that. Ephesians 6, 18 and 20. In Ephesians 6, this is Paul's prayer. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now notice what he asked for prayer for. Pray also for me. That words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of of the gospel, which I'm an ambassador in chains, and I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So after you've taken the elements and you've reflected on what Christ has done for you, would you take a few minutes to pray for the lost by name, to pray for unreached peoples in the world, and to pray for yourself that God will help you be bold to make Christ known wherever you go. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. After I pray, the musicians are going to come and begin to play, and then you'll have some time to reflect, and then whenever you're ready, just peel back the top layers for the bread, peel back the second layer is the juice, and celebrate that and then transition into a prayer time. But let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful for your grace that you've given to us. God, that you've looked upon undeserving sinners like us. And God, you would have been perfectly just to leave us lost in our sins and for us to be condemned already and condemned forever. But God, in your mercy, you looked upon us who had not received mercy and you gave us mercy. You looked upon us, not your people, and you made us your people. And God, then you made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for your own possession. Lord, as we think about that and celebrate that, Lord, we are reminded today of the cost of that, that the Lord Jesus himself had to come and he had to die in our place to take the wrath of a holy God that we should have experienced so that we never have to experience it. So Lord, for all those who are here who know you as they eat the bread and drink the cup, God, I pray you would fill their hearts with thankfulness right now as they remember the salvation you've freely given to them. But Lord, I pray as well that as we eat the bread and drink the cup, it'll break our hearts for the lost around us. But we confess it's so easy to just take for granted the salvation we have and to not to be found faithful, praying for the lost and making known the lost, to be comfortable just knowing we're okay with you. Lord, would you push us out of our comfort zone and would you begin to break our hearts afresh for the lost around us? Whether it's people in our school, our neighborhood, our, our workplace, even people in our own home, people in the uttermost parts of the earth, that you would break our hearts over lostness and that we find ways by your grace empowering us to make you known. So we'll take this time as we continue to worship you to transform us and mold us. And we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. So take a few minutes now. The elements are in front of you whenever you're ready. Father, thank you seems so inadequate when we pause and remember your mercy and your grace. And instead of condemning us as we deserved, you rescued us, you forgave us, you've adopted us, you've made us your sons and daughters, you've given us an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled, kept in heaven for us, you've given us every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places. Lord, help us be more mindful all that you've done for us and not lose sight of it. Would you fill our hearts with thankfulness to you, fill our hearts with awe and wonder that we are recipients of your grace. Lord, would you send us out to be bold witnesses for you to proclaim your excellencies right here in Montgomery and the uttermost parts of the world. So we're thankful that we could pause for a few minutes to remember your sacrifice, Lord Jesus, and to pray and intercede that you would be drawing non-believers to yourself. Lord, for every name that has been lifted up, 
during this time where we know you've already heard. Thank you that we can bring them before you. And I pray that even this week you'd be drawing those people we've prayed for to yourself. That you'd be giving us opportunities to speak into their life. But Lord, ultimately you would be at work redeeming people to worship you. So we give you the praise for what you're going to do. Help us stay focused on that truth in the week to come. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? Reflect on what we've been talking about. me. Mm-hmm.